There's an interesting story of a Syrian general in the Old Testament, Naaman, who is a leper, and he asks to see Elisha the prophet, and he gets sore with Elisha because uh, instead of doing some fancy uh, waving of his hand over the leprosy spots, he tells him to go wash in the Jordan. There's something similar going on in the anointing of the blind man's eyes this morning, because our Lord could have chosen any number of ways to heal the man, but what he does is a twofold action. He first creates clay with which to anoint the man's eyes, and then secondly, he sends him to wash. So this twofold action is both a recapitulation and an anticipation. It re- recapitulates creation proper, and especially the creation of humankind, where God takes the dust of the earth and animates it by his word and spirit. So here Christ, God's word incarnate, makes clay with spittle. And this was understood by the ancients to be condensed breath. So it's like he's uh, mixing his breath with the dust. So with this breath, the Holy Spirit, uh, the man's unseeing eyes were plastered But it was only when he washed that the Spirit's healing power took hold. I want to say a little bit more of this recapitulation. We have to remember that whenever Christ is present in the Gospels, he is the same word of God who is present at the creation. When God says, let there be light at the creation, this word he speaks is Christ. It is uh, the same word who appears as a man in the Gospels. And so Jesus is demonstrating that he is this same word by recapitulating this creation. Uh, These eyes which had not functioned before now uh, become, uh, realize their true nature, as it were. What about anticipation? So that's recapitulation. The anticipation is that of the regeneration that Christians experience in baptism after the resurrection of Christ which is the pattern, Christ's resurrection is the pattern of participation that baptism is. So baptism is more than a restoration of life in an otherwise dead body. This is important to understand too. Uh, We're not resuscitated uh, at the resurrection. We are resurrected. It is a restoration of a certain type, a restoration of innocence, and uh, most especially, the new creation of a renewed mind. It is an illumination, a giving of spiritual insight to those who are not able to understand God's plan in its entirety before. So we who are baptized are given the gift of understanding, the gift to know God and to know God's plans, and so to hope for of an eternal future with all the saints. I'm frequently struck by the parallels between John's gospel and the gospel of Mark. Uh, For many years, uh, they were thought to be polar opposites. Mark is early and kind of crudely written. John's prose is very expertly rendered in Greek. And uh, some biblical scholars thought it was very, very late. Uh, I wonder about that. I tend to think John's gospel is actually earlier than most. But in any case, 
there are lots of parallels between Mark and John. There's a curious story in Mark's gospel. Uh, In the eighth chapter of that gospel, Jesus heals a blind man. And how does he do it? He does it by spitting on his eyes. And then, second, laying his hands on him. So it's again a twofold action. And uh, what is particularly odd about this story in Mark is that the man is not healed immediately. Again, if Jesus wished to, he could heal any one of us just by speaking or by thinking about it. But instead, this man in Mark's gospel, after he receives the spittle on his eyes and then Jesus lays hands on him, uh, he says that he sees people sort of dimly, but they look like trees walking around. Um, And so Jesus lays his hands on him a second time, and it says he sees clearly. And again, this, this isn't because there's some problem with the first time Jesus touches him, but there's some pedagogical reason for this, and that is that uh, our regeneration in baptism is a dynamic process. It is, uh, to use sort of fashionable language, it's the beginning of a pilgrimage to the kingdom of God. So when we're baptized, we begin this new growth of this supernatural organism inside of us uh, that will eventually bear fruit after our deaths when, when we are resurrected. And so we see a similar dynamic in the man born blind in today's gospel. Uh, there's that parallel again. He first refers to the Lord as the man named Jesus. Who healed you? Oh, some guy. You know, who knows who he is? Then, under some questioning, he admits, well, I guess he must be a prophet, right? Obviously, if, if he could heal somebody who's born blind, he must be a prophet. And then he encounters Jesus a second time. And Jesus reveals himself to be the Son of Man. And what follows is really significant. The man makes a confession of faith, and then he worships Jesus. So there's this progression. The the man's understanding of who Jesus is is growing as we go through the story. And it ends with him acknowledging the divinity of Jesus Christ. He worships him. Earlier on, he said that, you know, only a man who worships God rightly will be heard by God. And so this act of worship toward Jesus is an acknowledgement that not only is he a prophet, but he is God himself. This gospel is given to us uh, on this particular Sunday to help us unlock the effect of baptism. It's to help the catechumens prepare to receive the sacrament of faith at Easter. And again, Christ, the same word of God through whom the world was created, uh, in his incarnation invites fallen humanity to a new spiritual existence, a new regeneration. This is a recreation, again, not only of our bodies, but of our minds, of our understanding. Baptism was known universally in the early church as enlightenment, the removal of intellectual blindness by the revelation of God in this man, Jesus Christ. We see that Our human nature is meant for communion with God in a particular way. And we see the way to realize this is through baptism into Christ. This revelation illuminates us not only to the greatness of God's love and mercy. There's a corollary to it that's uncomfortable, and it explains why the Pharisees are called out at the end. Uh, The corollary is that baptism is an invitation to... Uh, sort of examine ourselves and recognize our own complicity in sin and death. 
Theologian James Allison uh, has explored this idea in great detail in his first book on original sin. And he says that original sin can only make sense in light of the resurrection of Christ and the sacrament of baptism. It's only when we see the great heights to which we are invited uh, to divinization that we recognize how far we are and, and then we can take stock of that situation. Knowing God's love is possible to see myself in all of my neediness and blindness. It's safe to look at myself and say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner from birth even, right? It's just as this man was born blind. I, I was born somehow in this problem already. It blocked my ability to see God for who he really is. And it's baptism and our ongoing participation in the life of the church that removes those blinders. Dante's Divine Comedy gives us another example of this, dynamism. When Dante first finds himself lost, he does the obvious thing. He tries to get out of the forest by his own power. Um, But he discovers that what he has to do instead is consent to an inner journey, an inner journey through the personal inferno, the personal hell that he has been carrying around with him that he didn't even realize. Uh, He's confident to do this because he's been told the saints are interceding for him. God wills this. Uh, This is the way to true life, is acknowledging who we really are, both in, in our greatness and in our fallenness. And this undergoing of a radical unmaking of ourselves, our death to ourselves, Uh, an admission of blindness and personal incapacity to save myself. Uh, That's what we're called to acknowledge in Lent in preparation for Easter. Now let's say at this point in Lent, if you're like me, it's tempting to give up on our ascetical practices. You know, it's it's easy to fast for two or three days. Uh, It's not too hard to give up alcohol or meat or whatever we're giving up for a week, two weeks. Then what we realize is with these things taken away, all kinds of stuff that we've hidden from ourselves by these different crutches, whether it be alcohol or sugar or meat or exercise or television or whatever it is, all this stuff we've been hiding from ourselves comes to the fore. And we don't feel so good about ourselves, right? And so it's tempting to give up. And that's why we have Laetare Sunday. Rejoice. We don't have that far to go. And if you can say to of yourself... I really am blind. I really do need Jesus Christ. I really do need God's gift. You're in the best place you could be because he wants to give it. He wants to renew this gift for each of us at Easter and give it anew to those who haven't been baptized yet. So uh, the church presents us that the good news is at hand. And we rejoice precisely in this, that while we were still in sin, right then God reconciled us to himself. And it's the recognition of our personal blindness. It's okay. It is salvific. It's the condition under which we can joyfully accept a free and unmerited love. So let us admit our weakness and blindness as we approach the altar today and beware of the mistake of the Pharisees, that of assuming that a little bit of theological learning empowers me to pass judgment on others. Let us rather prepare to renew the grace of baptism and the illumination of our minds in the celebration of Easter.